0: Just say say your
1: name. Shanti Webley.
0: Um, And how long have you been doing Kung Fu?
1: I have been doing Kung Fu for about 19 years.
0: So the the main thing I wanted to ask about was, um, because a lot of people, again, I don't want to talk directly about the election, but a lot of people are like stressed and anxious and afraid. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just wondering how the practice of martial arts helped you deal with anxiety or fear or mm-hmm. situations where you felt you had no
1: control? There's kind of a few different tools or mechanisms to, to deal with, with anxiety or fear. The first one is just when we train, we're always trying to get our, our attention away from essentially what's happening on the inside of our heads or our thoughts, where something like fear would live Initially to our feet, to our hands, to our spines, just to kind of unfurl it out of, our, out of our minds and put it all over our body. That's kind of the first step, and that's why in traditional martial arts, people do forms, people do all sorts of techniques in which their mind has to be on something else. To do things well, it has to be on something else than their, than their thoughts and their fears and anxieties and their hesitation. It has to be on, well, is my hand supposed to be here or here? Is my foot in the right place, etc. But to that point, it's, it's kind of like ballet. Ballet would, or any other dance discipline would have the same, the same tool. So martial arts takes it, and kung fu in particular, takes it one step further so that it doesn't just get it on, on your own body, you get it on someone else. So you're looking at your opponent when you're doing fighting or sparring and getting your attention off yourself, off your thoughts, off your sort of contracted anxiety and on kind of like a piece of paper stretched out onto something else. And then from there it can be onto someone else, onto a group of people, and then onto, you know, the room around you or the whatever's in your visual or feeling sense. And martial arts, especially more traditional martial arts, or martial arts that are geared towards fighting and combat, have an additional mechanism to deal with fear or like a feedback loop. So it's not just about, well, how much can your will make yourself get your attention on your feet or your attention on your, par- your partner's eyes, your, your partner's movements. And the feedback me- mechanism is essentially pain. This is at the point that um, martial arts Actually, becomes about your mind and your spirit and not simply about your body. And not in just some sort of like vague sense, but in a very precise
2: way. You're listening to The Staple, an arts and culture the podcast.
0: podcast presented, presented by the IPRC. The IPRC. Learn, make,
1: share. Oh
0: no! <laughs> I said I didn't want to do that. So let's get a zine for zine <laughs>
1: When you fight, and the minute that you put your attention on your fear or anxiety is when a skilled opponent is going to hit you. The minute your attention wavers from, from not being essentially smooth out, your opponent's going to hit you. Pain, the, the instinctual drive towards survival, fight or flight, whatever you want to call it, you kind of use it and craft it as a feedback mechanism in order to train yourself to not be, to not deal with with fear and anxiety. It's not that those things go away, you simply uncrumple them so they become manageable instead of overpowering and crippling.
2: I remember being 14 and I remember my teacher having us throw kicks without putting the foot down up and down the room and I remember feeling like I was gonna throw up and these little thoughts start to go through your mind like man is is this really worth it I mean why are we working so hard and it's in those moments that we either listen to those voices that I think weaken us or we move on and say you know what I'm, I'm gonna push through I'm gonna do this thing and I think It's at those moments that that's where the real growth happens.
0: This is Marcus Atkins. He's another black belt that trains at the same school as Shanti. And he sat down with me and let me ask him pretty much anything that came to mind. How many times have you watched Karate Kid? Uh,
2: That has got to be my favorite martial arts film of, uh, of all time, it honestly is. I I couldn't tell you (laughs) but I I remember where I was when I saw it back in 1984. I love that movie because I really feel that it demonstrates to the largely uneducated public what martial arts should be about. It's not about being a violent person. It's not about uh, trying to hurt people. It's about uh, learning to protect yourself from violence. Learning, in any way, shape, and form, how to uh, avoid a violent, con- you know, conflict if at all possible. It's not about being a bully. It's about character. Uh, that movie really stood in stark contrast to a lot of what was uh, being promoted at that time. So. Big big fan of that film. Try to make it last. Nothing you can do. In a photograph, the innocent you thought you lost it, staring back at you. Whoa. There was a show that came on with a, uh, an actor by the name of Lee Van Cleef. It was called The Master. It, he was this uh, ninja who was teaching a uh, young apprentice how to become a ninja, and like many 80s genre films, they were traveling across the United States, and I think the instructor was looking for his long-lost daughter, but in the process, he's teaching this young apprentice uh, the art of ninjitsu, and they're, of course, solving all the world's problems as they go from town to town, and I was just so impressed, and. I originally wanted to become a ninja <laughs> I went out and bought a book with a bunch of black-and-white photos uh, Bruce Tegner's karate from a little uh, bookstore that was in southwest Portland called the novel idea And my parents were split up at that time, but both of them knew that, you know, I would have given anything to get into a martial arts class. So my father got me into a, it was a one month introductory, uh, kids karate class, but, uh, I didn't view it that way. I would, I would, I was, you know, 12 and, um, I was working on all these fundamentals that the teacher was teaching us. I think we had a a little Maybe eight by ten slab of concrete in the backyard of our apartment, and um, when I was not in class, I was back there training on all the <laughs> things this teacher was trying to teach to us. There was just the month, and then it ran out, and uh, we, you know, couldn't afford to take any lessons beyond that. We then moved to Tigard, and when I was about 13, there was an Aikido class that was taught at the, I think it's called the Tigard Gymnastics uh, Center, and uh, that was every Saturday morning. Studied that for uh, close to about a year. My father told me that he had met this man that, his name was, uh, Ali Muhammad, and he, uh, was a professor of martial arts, and I'm, you know, thinking my dad, I don't, you know, well, what does he know about this stuff, and he asks me if I want to, uh, meet this man, just to satisfy my dad, I, I say, yeah, I'll go meet this guy, and I had seen this man doing things that I had never seen before, and the, uh, technique that I saw him using, I knew, was very applicable to the street. It wasn't just tradition. And it just clicked right away. I was sold. That became my teacher for the next 14 years. On Mason Avenue off of 33rd in Northeast Portland I think it was called the Subud Center and then uh, eventually we moved to Roselawn Street off of uh, MLK after th- we moved out of there we were he was teaching out of Matt Dishman Community Center and I trained under him from about the age of 14 till about the age of 26 he called his martial art Afok Sarat Kempo Kung Fu. So he had, I think, a fifth-degree black belt in Kempo Karate. He had studied hungar, kung fu, jiu-jitsu, boxing, Arnis, um, uh, Tai Chi, and an art called Chi. Kung Fu is Chinese, and when kung fu found its way into Okinawa it became karate when those arts were brought to America often they were pretty rigidly um, nationalistic if you studied uh, kung fu you studied you know Chinese technique and all other techniques were inferior if you studied karate Um, you studied Okinawan or Japanese technique and all other things were inferior, particularly the era that I grew up in. You know, I I remember studying karate, which is very linear, very direct, very fast to the point. And I'd asked my teacher about kung fu. And he said, well, it's very circular, very flowery. When I studied Aikido, the, the teacher said, you know, that uh, being able to grab someone and um, control them and take them to the ground that was better than than all the striking arts. When I worked with uh, Kung Fu artists they felt that the fluidity and a lot of the circular movements uh, were better than what they thought were rigid technique from karate. So Kajukenbo developed in... Uh, Hawaii now uh, my wife's from Hawaii and so when we go back for a family reunion we have people that are Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Filipino, uh, Portuguese you name it all one family and so in Hawaii the arts became uh, mixed as well and Kajikembo and Kempo came from the same root In both of those arts, you'll find uh, boxing, you'll find kung fu, you'll find karate, judo. Um, their idea, particularly at that time, if, if it works, we'll use it. They didn't get hung up on what, uh, what nation it came from, and I think they really uh, developed a, a very progressive art that is very applicable uh, then as it is today. Before I started training in the martial arts, I definitely had a chip on my shoulder and had just issues growing up. Um, in uh, the early 80s, late 70s, we, we moved up from the Bay Area and uh, having uh, biracial parents at that time was not uh, a very popular thing in Oregon. And so I uh, used to get into fights a lot. I was 20 years old and there was uh, someone that uh, was harassing me and I probably could have and should have talked my way out of it. That didn't happen. And I remember everything seemed to be in slow motion. If you get into a situation with someone that does not know what they're doing, (laughs) I guess the, the, the benefit is Everything seems to come at you uh, slower and, you know, your reaction time is is a little faster. And was able to neutralize the situation and, and get out of it pretty safely, so.
0: Was he harassing you like in a public space?
2: Yes, actually at work.
0: Where were you working?
2: Uh, I was working at the Oregon Health Science University. We both lost our jobs. (laughs) Yeah, and I told my uh, instructor about it and he told me if I get into another fight, he would uh, kick me out of the class, so. (laughs) That was the last situation I uh, really ever allowed myself to get into. Um, I I know that my teacher, he used to um, tell us that, you know, really the fight is with you. It's learning self-control, you know. He said you can study all of these things for 20 years and he said if you lose control one time in a situation like that, it's as if you've uh, kind of forsook everything that you've learned. You've taken all of your discipline and just thrown it out of the window.
0: thing I, I've been wanting to talk to you and a lot of people about. So I saw for the first time that black belt test. I had never seen a black belt test. It was, what, a couple of weeks ago or something? Yeah. And I'm just watching. I can't even imagine being in it, but just watching it, like I feel my stomach tightening and I'm kind of getting adrenaline, but also like mildly afraid for the guy, even though I know it's in a controlled, safe environment. It seemed so intense, and it it felt like it felt like a lot of guys trying to break one person's will, and it was really hard to watch. But I suspect that I was misreading it. I'm just wondering how how, how to go about watching a black belt test because it seemed it seemed almost cruel.
2: Yeah, I can appreciate that. Um, I think when you are studying the martial arts, we all love dreams, but in, in some ways, you're learning to train for a nightmare. You're learning to train for kind of a worst-case scenario, and so, particularly when they want to promote someone to black belt, they want to put him through uh, put him through hell. Yeah, <laughs> um, they you know this baptism by fire, so to speak, and whether you're a black belt or whether you're um, simply showing up to class on a regular basis as as i know you are um, a a good teacher needs to put these tests in front of their student these these um, these little mountains and hills that need to be climbed and and we grow through those uh, through those experiences Growing up and not having had a, a father around, um, for me personally, was a um, w- was a major handicap. Had to learn a lot of lessons the hard way. That was kind of a, a family dynamic. My father also didn't have a father around. And so I wanted to be someone that would uh, Try to break that cycle. So, uh, I may have gone to a little bit of the other extreme, where I, <laughs> I, I remember people used to see me at the athletic club, and you know, here I was with my kids, working with them literally every day.
0: Uh, I started training when I was three years old. Like as soon as I could crawl, I was throwing kicks and punches. Yeah, we used to train at the Portland Athletic Club. Yeah, there was like an aerobics room upstairs and we would just do like laps and stuff.
2: I think to begin with at at that age, you start with um, pretty rudimentary training. A a lot of it is just coordination, like you said, working on not falling down, things like that. Um, Then progressively teaching techniques, keeping it simple, Um, and uh, quite frankly, what martial arts was for me and my kids more than anything, the greatest value is just a bridge that kept us connected. Because, you know, again, when you have kids that age and you have someone that's, you know, 20-some years older, our our interests aren't the same. But there was this one medium called uh, martial arts that uh, could kind of bring us together, open up um, conversation, and uh, still using it, at least with my son, to this day uh, as such a tool.
0: How old was he when he beat his first adult black belt?
2: He would have been about... I say 13. <laughs>
0: 13? 13. <laughs> Were they pissed? Uh, I think a little bit, but, you know, it was, like, respectful, so...
2: We went to um, Vegas. We went to Los Angeles, um, Tacoma. We went to a bunch of tournaments that were... At tournaments where they will allow him to fight adults, we do put him in with the adults. He took first place at all of them, except for one in Long Beach, California. He was uh, fighting an adult that was from a team from Mexico, black belt, and uh, he, I think the score was seven to 10, something along those lines. But barring that, he's just done quite well this year. I had a teacher that had an old school approach you train uh, a technique over and over and over and over and over and over. And, and over. I remember him telling me, uh, "Master one punch, and then make everything else equal to that one punch." When I was uh, very young, four, five, six years old, uh, in, in Northern California, my uh, older brother and I would go hiking in the mountains, and we would cross creeks and rivers and you had to step on these stones which were sometimes slick or maybe they uh there wasn't a large area to step on so every step had to be slow and very sure because you know you don't want to fall into the water and so as i teach someone uh rather than trying to rush them through and, and and force feed a bunch of information i would rather them get one thing down because that's where that confidence is, just like each stone that you would step on in that river. So I remember my teacher, he had taught us these same techniques. It seems like we were, you know, what you might call orange belts forever. You know, and I couldn't, I didn't understand it, why we kept uh, working on these same things over and over, over and over and and again. Over and over and over. I remember being at a mall. I think it was Washington Square. And a friend of my mom's uh, just tapped me on the shoulder. And without thinking, I was about to turn around and go into a self-defense technique. And it was at that very moment that it was an aha moment for me. I realized what he was doing. He was drilling and drilling and drilling so that these movements could become like second nature. That is how I teach when you think of lightning when it strikes the ground it's always seeking out the path of least resistance and if you think about the the synapses that are uh, in our brain they're very much doing the same thing those those neural pathways that we've traveled over and over and over and over again um, that's where our mental processes go to so I would rather have someone understand what they're doing to the degree that it's as easy as walking to them. Because when the pressure is on, whether it's in class or in a competition or on the street, those, in my experience, 32 years now, it is only those things that are going to manifest themselves under pressure. That's why I would rather uh, stick to one or two things and really digest it rather than jumping all around. and not really having an understanding of what we're doing um, i know in the art that i studied kempo uh, a man that really took that art and made it popular around the world uh, his name was ed parker and he was a, a very well educated man and he talked about you know you first learn a letter and then you learn to take that letter and put and put it together and you create a word you take the word and you create sentences from sentences, you create paragraphs, and from paragraphs, you may have a whole story. But it all starts with getting those fundamentals, those those A B those letters down correctly. We're gonna we're gonna get back to basics. Okay, guys, everybody line up when you start class. Uh, right foot forward, bouncing. We're gonna work on our ABCs, and we're gonna work on our one two threes. Okay. Listen, guys. Well, I was working with my two kids, and um, I realized that, uh, you know, working with, you know, your, your father is great, but they, they needed peers, and so I decided to uh, do some homework and look for a school that I thought could um, bring out the most benefit for my son. My daughter at that point, she decided that, you know, she... She had interest in, I think, volleyball and and water polo, and and that's fine. At the Academy of Kung Fu, the um, base of the art is Kajukenbo, which developed in uh, Hawaii. Now, uh, my wife's from Hawaii. And so when we go back for a family reunion, we have people that are Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Filipino, Uh, Portuguese, you name it. You kind of start off like a piece of granite and you slowly hammer away at the rough edges and the the areas uh, in what you're doing uh, that are unnecessary, and as time goes on, it's as if you use a, a, a smaller and finer tool, and you keep fine-tuning and fine-tuning, and learning the control physically, um, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. When you see the you know the advancement and the refinement. And I would say not so much of the technique but of the person people talk about being a master of the martial arts well that that actually doesn't mean you're a master of punching and kicking and hurting you're, you're really uh, your goal is to be a master of yourself um, you know those days of you know I don't feel like going in but you go in anyways I don't want to do these push-ups and these different exercises but you push through it any anyways. Um, all of those exercises really are mental exercises more than physical and you learn to gain control of yourself so maybe if you're in a situation at work where somebody's harassing you or you're in road rage I think the art comes in having control over your will over your emotions And having experienced that to a greater and greater degree with with training, I think that's where I realized that's where the art was, at least for me.
0: All of the music in this episode was made by Robert Maciel and the composer duo Silaf Schoenberg. This episode was edited and produced by myself, Sonny Bleckinger, this podcast is currently supported in part by Kabu Radio, who is generously hosting our show and providing studio time. Both subjects of this episode, Shanti Webley and Marcus Atkins, train and teach at Southeast Portland Martial Arts. Anyone is welcome to show up and try it out for a week, free of charge. And if you show up regularly and catch Marcus's eye, he might even invite you to his weekly sparring class, You'll find out when you get there that, yes, he plays music during class from a certain karate movie, and that most of the class are children, vicious animals, really. It's been humbling. Find out more at www.southeastportlandmartialarts.com. Thank you for listening.